Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Thanks for tuning in this weekend to Let's Talk Portland, Intercom Radio Portland's weekly public affairs program. I'm Gary Bloxham. Social service organizations are extremely important all the time, but they've become even more important now during a pandemic. And this time on the show, we're going to talk to one of the most effective in our community. I'd like to welcome Kay Turan, CEO of Volunteers of America, Oregon. Hey there, Kay. Welcome to Let's Talk Portland. Well, thank you so much. And hello to you. Well, thank you. How about we get started today by letting our audience know exactly what is Volunteers of America? Love to talk about our organization. Volunteers of America Oregon is one of the oldest social service organizations in Oregon. Uh, we were founded in 1896, and we will be celebrating our 125th anniversary next year, 2021. And what we do primarily in the Tri-County area is provide a range of services that include early childhood. Uh, we do a program of prevention services with our youth population. We also do a community detention program with that same age group that we do in partnership with government agencies and also some other community-based organizations. The lion's share of my delivery system, however, is really focused on the population that we consider to be the most at-risk population in Oregon and in the Tri-County area. Those are individuals who, because of choices, poor choices, have touched the criminal justice system, and they have been involved in the criminal justice system in various um, intervention points. Uh, some of them have been incarcerated and they've been in prison. Others are re-entering the community. Others have um, broken the law gone into Multnomah County Court or um, Court in Washington or Clackamas, and one of the choices they have is to enter a diversion program, which is what we offer, which is a treatment program, if it's a drug violation or a driving violation, and what we try to do is help them get their lives back on track. Um, and we have um, what is considered one of the nation's best residential treatment programs, again, for men and for women who have touched that criminal justice system. So we do a lot of work in that arena, a lot of evidence-based work where our focus is really to get people clean and sober, get them their lives back on track, reunite them with their families, and hopefully go about their lives forevermore. On the back end of that age continuum, we actually provide adult day services. And for about 15 years, we've had a wonderful partnership with Providence Elder Place, where they provide clinical services for that aging population. And what we do is provide a daycare program for the caregivers 
in the form of respite, but also a day program that allows some of their adult sons and daughters to be employed. And we have their mom, dad, or older person in our program during the day, kind of the opposite of what child care does. So that's what we do. And we do it with a professional workforce. We have about 350 professional staff. And we enhance our operation with about 900 volunteers. Um, so that's who Volunteers of America Oregon is. 900 volunteers. Wow. Yes, a year. <laughs> that's, yes. A, that's a lot of volunteers. So exactly. uh, of, the, of the people that you work with, the clients, how many people are you working with in, in, at any given time? Um, it depends on the program, but uh, I actually do, um, in our last annual report, we served about 11,000 participants over the course of the year. And out of that 11,000, about 4,000 were receiving early childhood services in the form of drop-in child care or our family relief nursery. We had about 3,000 women and uh, children who were receiving domestic violence services through our home free program. And um, we had 622 home visits for families that are in our family relief nursery. And in our recovery program, the program that um, is providing residential treatment services for substance abuse disorder, we served about 1,400 people over the course of a year. Okay. So, unfortunately, quite a few. We, we, unfortunately, you know, we always say within the world of social work, you know, we're trying to put ourselves out of a job. Yeah. Because if we're really good at what we do, people do go on with their lives. But the reality is, is that right now in our community, if everybody can see the vulnerable or even more vulnerable for all kinds of um, uh, systemic and uh, society reasons. Um, and I don't think that's going to change anytime soon, unfortunately. Yeah. We're talking today with Kay Torin, CEO of Volunteers of America, Oregon. Kay, how has uh, the pandemic, COVID-19, how has that affected uh, the work that you guys do? Well, that's a real interesting question. And, um, it, you know, it, it certainly has challenged all of us. I think all of us that are employed for a social service organization uh, such as Volunteers of America, we were required to be extraordinarily nimble and responsive to the shutdown, the shelter in place order and to the COVID-19, you know, needing to do our work differently. So probably within a week, we were able to uh, move our kind of traditional normal way of delivering service to primarily a remote operation so that my staff was actually operating from their homes, you know, relying on technology, relying on uh, iPhones and laptops to stay in contact with this very, very vulnerable population. We do have a residential program, 24-7 programs. And in that situation, we just needed to make sure that we were engaged in safe practices and making sure we knew what was happening with our program participants and our employees. But it was also important that we were able to keep those services in place, like I said, 24-7. So we are still operating primarily uh, remotely. But here's the good news, um, and I didn't even know that the FCC did this, but they made grants available to programs, community-based programs such as Volunteers of America, Oregon, and they did this nationwide. So we reply, uh, uh, re- responded to their request for a proposal because one of the things that we knew we were going to do more of, and that was providing telehealth services to that population that could 
receive our services, you know, through technology. We received from the FCC a $750,000 grant that allows us to expand our telehealth services and to support the population that we serve with laptops and with iPhones and working with our IT contractor to make sure that we are providing the highest level and highest quality of health services, but we're doing it through that particular methodology. Um, that's been really exciting. And it, it, to me, it forecasts um, the way we'll, we will be doing services in the future, and not just with telehealth, but relying much more on technology to make sure that we're providing the services that are needed. That's what COVID-19 has done. It has provided us with an opportunity to look at making changes, becoming more efficient, being committed to high-quality services, and taking into consideration that we're probably, all of us, are in a paradigm shift. We will never go back to the way we were March 1st. And what we will look like next March is yet to be determined. But that's the excitement of what we do. But, yes, COVID-19 really required us to change the way we deliver services. Well, that's really great that uh, you're able to pivot with with telehealth-type stuff because telehealth is all well and good, but you have to have the technology on the patient side for them to take advantage of telehealth. You bet. And that's where our IT contractor, and we do have a contractor, has been just superb, you know, looking at platforms, looking at what our client needs were, how sophisticated were people who returned to the community after incarceration, and then how, how reliable were they going to be in terms of making sure that they kept appointments that are online, that they would you know, raise the hand when they found that they were having challenges in terms of connecting with us. And then with the technology, we started off with one uh, provider and we found out that that did not work for us as well as we needed it to work for us because we are covered by HIPAA. So we have to have a 100% guarantee that none of our service delivery system can be hacked or uh, uh, delivered in such a way that we don't protect the privacy and confidentiality of the populations that we're serving. So we had to test the different platforms out there, and um, um, it's all well and good. We are at a good place right now, but all of that had to be done very, very quickly. And um, it just lets me know that um, professionals, if you work with them, you're honest with them, you can say what works, what doesn't work, what you know, what you don't know. And you know, I'm like the best one at saying, there's a lot about technology. I don't know because I depend on my executive assistant. <laughs> Boy, did I ever learn that quickly. But they were right there, Johnny on the spot. They said, what do you need? How soon do you need it? You know, how can you, in your language, tell us how to be responsive to what is best for not only you, DOA, but also to the clients that we're serving? So it's been a real um, informative, I think, productive collaboration. And um, those hard questions are being asked continually about, does this work for you? And if it doesn't work for you, let's talk about what we need to do to make it work for you. I've spoken to a lot of social service organizations uh, since the pandemic hit, and it was it's always been amazing to me how quickly uh, those services have pivoted to be able to do stuff uh, virtually. It, it's like from going to not using technology much at all to just pivoting to doing it almost 100% is just mind-blowing. It told, it told me a couple of things. It told me first is that how adaptable we really are. Yeah. You know, it's very easy to get into kind of habitual ways of doing anything every day, all of the time. But given no choice. I think people proved to me and demonstrated to me, certainly my employees, 
given no choice, we will rise to the occasion and we will be as open with you about what's working and what's not working. Working remotely has its challenges. What I find, because I'm working primarily remotely, is that I don't have the boundaries in terms of my time that I would have if I were going into the office every day. What I mean by that is that if you were to call me and I'm in my office or not in my office and the phone were to ring, you'd go to my voicemail and you would be content with that or you would try to get to my executive assistant and find a time and appointment where we could actually talk. But people know I'm at home. <laughs> they know that I'm at home 24-7 primarily, right? <laughs> so my phone will start ringing at 6.30 in the morning, and I know it's a business call. And I would say to myself, that would not happen if I were going into my office <laughs> every day. So that's that's the downside of really having um, um, operating in such a way that you don't have traditional boundaries. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know how to manage that yet. You know, when I talk to my colleagues and other CEOs and the presidents and say, are you having that experience? They go, yes. <laughs> just, well, what we need to figure out is how we, you know, have that little flashing light for the person who's either sending us an email or calling us on the phone and saying, halt, you can't do that during these hours. But right now we haven't figured it out. Yeah. Uh, well, hopefully that'll come along. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, you know, the need for social services doesn't stop because we're in a pandemic. In fact, they may go up. Is that what you're finding? Is that people are in more in need of social services? Absolutely. For all kinds of reasons. I think we're all aware that there's a very high unemployment rate right now. And we know that there are many people, not only individuals, but families and businesses, other business owners, who um, um, haven't had a steady income. And uh, that has its uh, consequences, uh, obviously. And um, we have found that we've had to be very responsive via way Oregon, but also to work uh, certainly much more effectively in collaborations and partnerships. So COVID-19 was the first pandemic. And then the second pandemic was this need for racial equity and with the demonstrations that were all going on, particularly here in Portland, and the the uh, impact that that has had on people and individuals and families and, and um, needing to be, again, nimble and be able to re- be responsive to that. And then, of course, what happened next? The wildfires. It's like we haven't been able to go three months in 2020 without having to deal with some kind of a human crisis that has impacted people by, you know, reducing their income, uh, challenging their families, working moms and dads who've had to stay at home because their kids are at home because schools have been closed. So all of that has really required us as a professional social service organization to be extraordinarily responsive, to step up and uh, really have a sense of what the needs are out there and how we can respond. Add an overlay of a growing housing problem that we've had here long before COVID-19, we've had for several years, which in my view is only getting worse because of these other factors that have been been impacting family life. So we, even though we don't have a formalized housing program, we've had to respond to housing needs. Uh, We don't, we're not an Oregon food bank, but we've had to make sure that people who are hungry and have food insecurity have either some support from Volunteers of America or we can hold and get them to the kinds of resources and supplies that they need. So yes, the, the need continues to grow and I'm very a realist person that that need is going to continue to grow. I don't see our economy turning around anytime soon. I'm one of the persons who follows very carefully what's happening in Congress through our national office because we're hoping that Oregon will get some stimulus funds to address our um, shortfall as a, as a result of high unemployment. 
Um, so, yeah, the need is greater. Um, our ability to um, be responsive has increased. And uh, we know that this is probably going to be our reality for um, the several weeks, if not months, into the future. It seems like uh, this 2020, nobody has been able to catch a break. Uh, That's exactly right. (laughs) And I can remember on the morning of uh, January 1st, uh, a couple of us were in a cab, you know, coming home from an event. And the cab driver was actually an Uber driver. He said, oh, 2020, new decade, new year. This is going to be a great new start for everybody. And we were all saying, yes. Well, the very next day on January the 2nd, one of my good friends, Nick Fish, died. And in a lot of ways, that's was a moment of what was to come because it seems like since that very unhappy event for many of us here in Portland, it seems like every three to four weeks there's been something else to happen that certainly was not planned and certainly has impacted us in very painful kinds of ways. And so it's been a, a year of crisis, one after another, which, of course, just lets us know how how able we are to be responsive to things that are outside of the the ordinary. Well, one of the ways that you guys are helping, you talked a little bit ago about the wildfires that we had uh, that are actually still burning in some places, but uh, that were pretty intense a month or so ago. And the Volunteers of America, Oregon, has teamed up with the Jordan Snitzer, Snitzer Emergency Relief Fund to help out people in Estacada and Malala. Tell me more about that. Right. This has been an unexpected, wonderful opportunity for our organization. Let me just kind of backtrack for a half a second and talk about the partnership and relationship the Volunteers of America have had with basically the Schnitzer family. The Harold and Arling Care Foundation have donated funds for us to support many of the programs that we provide the vulnerable in our community. They've also been a presenting uh, presenting sponsor for our annual fundraiser called the DePriest Award for Excellence. And this year, it was it occurred after the death of Arlene Schnitzer, but. Um, the Care Foundation in Jordan had already committed to be the presenting sponsor, so um, reached out to him and said, you know, because we're going to have to do it differently, it's going to be a virtual fundraiser, will you join with us in planning what that should look like? And we were extraordinarily fortunate to have a co-sponsor in KGW Television. And talking with their general manager, they agreed to allow us to have a virtual fundraiser on the air during prime time on a Wednesday night, which was 7 p.m. It was done beautifully. It was for one hour, lots of great feedback. And the day after the broadcast, I was talking to Jordan, and he said, gee, he was getting a lot of feedback, too. And this is right in the middle of the wildfire. And he said, I was thinking about making a large donation to help out families who have been devastated by the wildfire why don't I make that large donation and give it to Volunteers of America and you administer that fund in a place where we believe there are high needs? Well, we do have an independent living program in Estacada, Oregon called Whispering Pines. So I pulled together my exec team and said, can we do this? Can we be responsive? Can we do it quickly? Because these people do have great needs right now. Which yes, yes, and yes. So Jordan Snitzer made a donation of $250,000 for Volunteers of America to create the Jordan Center Emergency Relief Fund. Those funds will be used for individuals on 
couple families in Estacada and Malala who've been impacted by the wildfire. And so we are in the process now of bringing that online. We have an application process that is going to be uh, online. Actually, it's online as of um, this past Monday. And um, to get those dollars to individuals who have lost their homes, who have been displaced, dislocated, or just simply have increased basic needs that they can't meet because they've lost an income. So that was an unexpected gift to Volunteers of America and an unexpected opportunity to even be of greater help to individuals who are suffering from something that was totally unexpected on their part. And um, there's high need there. And I think there will be high need probably throughout the rest of this year. What a wonderful thing. My goodness. If, if somebody living in the Estacada Malala area needs help, how, to, how can they uh, find out if they're eligible? Right. Well, what we're asking people to do is to actually go online and um, let me get the actual address for people to do that. We, we have the application online and we're asking people to go online to www.or.org to fill out that application. It's not a complicated one. It's just enough to get, get a, give us enough information to know who people are, you know, what their needs are, and how we can be responsive. We will have a review process, and um, the aid in the form of a check or a uh, bank transfer will go to an individual, to a couple, or to families, and um, um, they will share with us how they've been impacted. Um, we know because Whispering Pines is in the heart of Estacada and we had to re- relocate for about 48 hours the individuals who live there at Whispering Pines. And so we know that there are people who were considerably worse off than that that still are without homes and are still in great need. We also know that with the way that insurance claims are processed, that there's a gap between when the insurance application is filed and when the person actually gets gets a check. So these dollars can help fill that gap while people are waiting for insurance to be responsive to their needs. I want to make sure that we got the website out again. Your phone kind of broke up just when you were giving it out, but the website is voaor.org. Yeah. Volunteersofamerica.org. Yeah, 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 and the VOA stands for Volunteers of America, Oregon. Volunteers of America, and then Oregon. So you got it. I'll say it one more time. www.voaor.org. Yeah, it's right on slash wildfire. And it's right on the homepage. You can just you'll see it right when you right when you get to the website. Exactly. exactly. And also. Uh, your, your website is so great because it tells you so many things of, of the services you can find and how to get involved. How, if some of our listeners want to get involved with Volunteers of America, Oregon, how do they do that? Well, that's really another great question on your part because I mentioned earlier that over the course of a year we have 900 volunteers. And so you can go to our web website and uh, connect with our volunteer program. And we have a volunteer director who will take information and um, um, share information on how to become involved as a volunteer up to and including training and being assigned a specific role or task with our organization. Um, in addition to that, um, we... Um, welcome people who are interested in learning more about who we are and the services that we provide. We cannot do this at the moment just because of COVID-19, but we welcome people coming in, doing tours, getting a real quick sense of who we are and how we provide services. 
When we, uh, Volunteers of America, gave Jordan Schnitzer the Decreased Award for Excellence Award, which was at this point probably 12 years ago, maybe longer, one of the things that impressed me so much about Mr. Schnitzer is that when he was told that he was getting the award, he says, well, I need to know more about who you are. He took the time to visit our programs, to talk to our program directors, to talk to my staff, to talk to some of the recipients of our services. And what impresses me so much about that is that a CEO, the leader of the organization, in part, you know, we are champions and we are cheerleaders because we believe so much in what we do. But I believe the real path for our quality and how how we impact the community comes from the people who are on a daily basis working with my employees, working with my managers, and then talking to the people who receive the services. Jordan Schnitzer did all of that. And my staff today, when you mention his name, they talk about the fact that he cared enough to come. And um, I think because of that, and because he had some firsthand knowledge of what, what it is that we do, I think it, he's found it easy, probably not easy, that's probably not a good word, but he does find it something that he wants to do regularly, and that is to support our operation and support the programs that we are providing. So, you can come into our organization as a volunteer if you're interested in employment, there are job notices that are on our homepage, but you can also, when we start the tours again, reach out to us and have us organize a tour so you can come in and not only uh, hear about our services, but experience them by talking to my staff and by the people who receive our services. Well, Volunteers of America, Oregon is doing such important work and it's especially needed right now. So, Kay, thank you for uh, giving us all this information today. Well, thank you for allowing me to share a little bit of my time and certainly share um, much of what we do here at Volunteers of America. It's a hugely important organization to our community. We are making a huge impact on so many lives, and I just love talking about how we do that. And we are always seeking people to know what we're doing, to support what we're doing, and, you know, pick up the phone or send us an email if there's additional information that we can share, because our community really does need the support of community-based organizations in our larger community as we live through some very difficult and challenging times. We've been talking today with Kay Turan, CEO of Volunteers of America, Oregon. If you'd like to hear this interview again, a podcast is available online. Just search Let's Talk Portland on the radio.com app. Let's Talk Portland is an intercom public affairs program.